Last week we, we kicked off a sermon series that will be really an annual tradition for us as a church family. At the beginning of every year we uh, will take a few weeks uh, to, to go through a Renew series that, that helps us to uh, really reflect on where we've been, but, but especially to, to look ahead and to renew our commitment to Christ and his church. And, and on a foundational level, last week we said that in the new year, uh, my desire, my prayer for us is that we uh, would see uh, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and that we would give ourselves uh, to work, to, to pursue, to press on knowing Christ because he has made us his own. Uh, and, and as we think about what it means to know Christ, uh, we can't know Christ uh, without uh, understanding that knowing Christ means that we're a part of Christ's body. Uh, to know Christ is to be in his family. It's to be in his body. And, uh, and, and there's really a number of different passages that we could look at that could help us think today, uh, not just about what it means to know Christ, but what it means to know Christ in community, what it means for us to live as a compelling community as a church in this new year. And that's exactly where I want us to spend our time uh, this morning. And the passage that we're going to be in is Galatians 6. So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn to, to Galatians 6. But I, I can't help but mention uh, in light of the new year, uh, the 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 practice of making resolutions. I'm sure that you've probably thought through some resolutions or maybe you don't like to call them resolutions, maybe you call them goals, uh, whatever you call it. All of us really, I, I believe, want to take some time to both evaluate and, and set some goals as we look ahead. I think sometimes we're, um, if you're the realist, you go, well, I know I'm going to uh, break my goal before uh, it gets uh, you know, February, so I'm just not going to waste any time setting goals. There are others of you that uh, had your goals set, you know, on December uh, 20th uh, because you are already looking ahead uh, to what the new year held. I heard somebody uh, say that we should have a, a day in between New Year's Eve and, and the, the true start of the new year because, I mean, you, you stay up till midnight or later eating terrible food and then you basically have to break your resolution by, you know, not getting up early and not exercising uh, on the first day of the new year. Uh, I, I think uh, that's a, a worthy consideration. Whoever uh, makes the calendar these days should consider. But when we think about our resolutions, they fall into typical buckets. Uh, typically, things like eat better, exercise more. Um, maybe, maybe there's some uh, other personalized goal that you have. I think we, we probably all could... Uh, you know, maybe make a resolution to shop on Amazon less, you know, in the, in the new year. Or maybe uh, we, we have a goal uh, that, that we want in relation to, to work or in relation to our family. A lot of times our, our resolutions or our goals are individually focused. And, and that's not all bad. I think you obviously have to take responsibility for your resolution or your goal. Uh, but there, there are some resolutions that consider more than just yourself. Maybe it's, as I mentioned, a, a family resolution or, or maybe it's something for a team that you're on at work or at school, you have some goal uh, that's setting before you. Maybe you are in a business or in, in, uh, in some type of work that you're setting a goal for a group of people. Uh, <clears throat> today, I want us to, to think about a, resol a resolution that, that we should make as a church family in 2021. The resolution that I, I want to put before us, uh, a corporate resolution, is to resolve to foster compelling community at TCC in 2021. Uh, to, to foster compelling community at TCC in 2021. 
We're, we're going to walk through Galatians 6, and, and really, as we look at Galatians 6, we're going to look at the surrounding context, the surrounding passage, so that we can get a real sense of what Paul is trying to do in our passage. But what we're going to see is, is that Paul is laying out a vision for what it means to be a compelling community. And, and I would define compelling community like this. I would say that compelling community is when our life together, centered upon God's Word and empowered by the Holy Spirit, reveals the power of the gospel to a watching world. Let me say that again. That compelling community is when our life together as God's people, as a local church, centered upon God's Word and empowered by the Holy Spirit, reflects the gospel to a watching world. You know, when we, when we look at God's Word and we think about community, this is a term that's hot in Christian circles. We often think a lot about community, and, and we desire community. In fact, in many conversations I have with people uh, who have come to TCC, uh, for uh, those who have, have joined, one of the things that has compelled them towards TCC is the experience of community that they've had. Uh, here at TCC, and, and I rejoice in what God is, is doing and how He is at work in the life of our church. And, and at the same time, I know that many challenges sometimes that we have in the church, and, and TCC is an exempt from this, is in our experience of community. Uh, and so as we think about uh, what it means to be a compelling community, we have to, uh, to really ask ourselves, what makes uh, a compelling community? It's, it's surely more than just the subjective feeling of, of niceness and warmness upon people greeting us. There's got to be something that's, uh, that's deeper, that's more full, that's more holistic that we're pursuing when we think about being a compelling community. Uh, and, and, and the reason this is essential, if I could zoom out uh, real quick before we jump into Galatians, is uh, as we think about who we are as a church, to be a church who's committed to multiplying disciples, who delight in, declare, and display the gospel in all of life and for the good of our community, that means that we are a community of believers who are committed to discipleship and to making disciples, who make disciples in our life together is, is a process of delighting and declaring and displaying, and we're working that out in all of life. That's the work of community. It's, it's, yes, it's individual believers embracing God's call upon us as his disciples uh, to live these things out, but it's ultimately a work of community that we're, we're working this out together as God's people. It's always been God's design to call a people unto himself, not merely isolated individuals who believe in him. God has always designed from the beginning to create and to call a people to himself, not merely isolated individuals who believe in him. And so that's what we are called to as a church, and that's what I desire for us to cultivate in a deeper way in the new year. And this isn't just an, you know, a, an add-on to, uh, to what we're doing, but it's part and parcel not only of what we're doing, but who we are. Because at TCC, when we say that the church isn't just a place that you attend, but it's a family to which you belong, the, the sense of a compelling community is wrapped up in what it means to not just be like a family, but to be the family of God. And so when we look at God's Word, particularly when we look at Galatians, what does it mean to be a compelling community? I want in the first few points to... Uh, to look at the broader context of Galatians uh, to help us think about uh, community before we jump into chapter 6. And I want to make a, a few points that, that help us understand uh, how God's Word is instructing us uh, on, on how to think about community, and especially what it means to be a compelling community. 
community as we bear witness to the gospel in our life together. The first thing that I want us to see is that community is given to us through faith in Christ. Paul's emphasis throughout Galatians uh, bears a a resemblance to what we talked about uh, last week as uh, as we were looking at uh, the book of Philippians and understanding uh, what what justification is in particular, what it means to be made righteous through faith in Christ. Uh, This is going to be the overarching emphasis, especially of chapters 1 through 4 in Galatians. In fact, from the the very get-go, Paul tells us that, that he's writing because he doesn't want the Galatians to turn away from the gospel, to turn away from the true gospel, which is Christ plus nothing, uh, to, to a different gospel, which is Christ plus your best effort, Christ plus your uh, religious observance as in circumcision, as in the keeping of the law. I don't want you to add to the gospel, which is Christ's completed work on your behalf. I want you to believe in the gospel and allow the Spirit to empower you to growth and sanctification. And so <clears throat> we're seeing in, in Galatians, if you look at chapter 2, verse 15 through 16, Paul's emphasis on what it means to be justified by faith in Christ. Again, remember, justification means made righteous by faith in Christ. Our positional standing before God isn't on the basis of what we have done, but it's on the basis of what He has done. And we receive the righteousness of Christ. God looks at us and made right in His eyes, given the righteousness, the, uh, the, the, the perfect record of God credited to us through faith in Christ. It says in, in Galatians 2, 15-16, This, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There it is. Paul says it as plainly as he can, that justification, that Uh, being made righteous in the sight of God, being made right with God, brought into God's family, is not about what we have done for Him, but it's about what Christ has done for us, and that's received by believing, by faith in Jesus Christ. This is what takes place when a person puts their trust in Jesus. When you say no to sin and yes to Jesus, not just in the sense of that ongoing process of repentance in the Christian life, but when when you go from I'm not sure I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure I'm a Christian to I believe. I'm not living my life my own way. I'm giving my life to God. I'm trusting in Jesus as my Savior. When that takes place in your life, when you say yes to God, when you repent of your sin and believe in Him, you are justified, made righteous. It's not a mystical experience. It's something that happens in terms of how God looks upon you, your position before God. It's as if Christ is the one that God sees as he looks upon us and his, Jesus's righteousness is credited to our account. This is a given righteousness through the completed work of Christ. But our justification makes us right with God, but it, but it also brings us, if you will, into God's family. And, and this especially comes out in Galatians 3. If you look with me down to verse 25, in Galatians 3, again, in this part of the letter, Paul's talking through uh, the gospel and justification, which flows out of believing the gospel. And he says in verse 25, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, speaking previously of how the law and the gospel works in chapter 3. 
Um, Pastor Chris can unpack all of that for you if you'd like. Uh, but as you, as you look at what he's saying here, he said, we're no longer under the guardian of the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This is the language of family. That as we believe and are made righteous, we are brought into God's family, sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are heir, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what, what is Paul saying? God's plan of salvation, his work of justification, not only makes us right with God, but brings us into God's family. That our, our community, our belonging to one another, is first and foremost given to us through faith in Christ. So here in just a moment, we're going to talk about how to cultivate community. And the reason it's important for us to cultivate community is because it's what God has given to us when we believed in him, that we're brought into his family. And it's a work that we must cultivate and grow as an act of faithfulness to what God has entrusted to us. It's, it's us experiencing in reality what God has given to us positionally through faith in Christ. Community is given to us through faith in Christ. And this community that we're given, Galatians is going to tell us, especially as Paul turns to chapter 5, as this community is given through faith in Christ, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Community is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So in chapters 1 through 4, Paul unpacks the gospel, which leads to justification by faith in Christ, believing on Christ's completed work on our behalf. He now turns in chapter 5 to talking about uh, the work of the Spirit and the ongoing formation of God's people and the ongoing formation of the church. And he's going to say that the Holy Spirit uh, is empowering a life of freedom. For the freedom Christ has set us free. And stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This freedom that Paul is talking about, the freedom in following Christ is a freedom from legalism, a freedom from trying to earn your place before God, as well as a freedom from licentiousness, a, a freedom from, from, um, from abusing or presuming upon God's grace and just living however you want to live. We're going to see in a minute that as we work out this call to foster community, that we actually fulfill the law of Christ, which is a reflection of the, the moral law of the Old Testament that's, uh, that, that we see in its fullest expression in Jesus, which the, the believer today is responsible to walk in obedience to God and, and, and reflect the, the moral character of God in the way that we live. And so this is possible, this not trying to earn our way before God or our standing before God, as well as not trying to presume against God's grace, uh, to, to live a life of freedom that God has purchased for us in Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But, but notice in Galatians 5, verses 5 through 6, that community that God has given us uh, through faith in Christ, it's, a, uh, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit because our faith, is faith that's at work through love. Look at what it says in Galatians 5, verses 5 through 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith working through love. Go down uh, to verse 13. 
Paul's going to say it again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. The family language, our understanding of, of being in community through faith in Christ. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So just as uh, John would say to us in 1 John that to love God, uh, it requires that we also love our brother. Uh, John didn't just make that up because he got that from Jesus because Jesus said that the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in turn, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself because upon these the whole law hangs and it's ultimately fulfilled as we walk in this great commandment. There are two commands to love God and love others. When Paul thinks about life in the Spirit, he thinks about personal holiness, no doubt. We, we see in Galatians 5, perhaps the passage that maybe you're most familiar with in Galatians 5, is the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. These call us to a life of personal holiness. And that personal holiness isn't just about me, myself, and I, but it has implications for my life and community with others. But when, when Paul thinks about the, the empowering work of the Spirit, it's not just personal holiness unto myself, but he ultimately is saying that this has implications for how we relate to one another, that the work of the Spirit is necessary for us to be a compelling community. And, and, and as you look at this, when we get down to Galatians 5 at the end, after he works through the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, which as a, as a side note here, if you just read through them, think about how the works of the flesh play themselves out in relationship with others, how they are destructive and ruinous to community, uh, how they damage relationships when we walk in the flesh, when we, we allow ourselves to, uh, to um, as Paul says, to, uh, to, to give into the passions and the desires of the flesh, when we allow anger and rivalry and dissension and divisions uh, to take place in community. And then think about how the fruit of the Spirit can't just be something that you enjoy under yourself, but it has the implication of strengthening and growing the life that God has given us together. The sense of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. How no doubt these all have individual implications, but they have communal implications as well. But ultimately it all comes together in verse 25 and 26 when Paul says, If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then not as a disconnect, but flowing directly from that, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. To walk in the Spirit is to walk in community. Community is given to us through faith in Christ, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And... and, and and I think this idea of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, no doubt, has a certain sense of vagueness. And, and I, uh, I think, the, uh, as I've said before, I think the, under, the sense of walking in the Spirit, it can be, uh, it's one of the most significant, and yet it's one of the most difficult things to get your arms around. But, but what I think it's, uh, what we can uh, think through how to wrap our arms around it is as a people to commit ourselves 
to God's word, to commit ourselves to prayer, to commit ourselves to one another and and then get up every day and put one foot in front of the other, moving towards each other, seeking to allow God to have his say in our lives and to be at work in our relationships, to seek the spiritual good of one another, to lay our lives down for each other in service and humility, uh, looking to to do good to one another. This is what Paul's ultimately going to unpack in Galatians 6. It's this sense of reliance on God, this sense of asking God to work in our lives and in our lives together. Uh, It's expressed through prayer and then it's expressed through faithful living uh, towards one another is what it means for uh, our sense of community to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It means that when you don't want to forgive that person, it means when you don't want to call that person, it means when you don't uh, want to, to give of yourselves to gather, when you don't want to give of yourselves to disciple, when you don't want to do these things and there's some uh, maybe uh, <clears throat> selfish motivation or something that's pulling, it's when, you, when, you're, when you're willing to say, God, I want you to have your way. I want you to be at work. God, help me to trust you. Help me to receive the ministry from others. Help me to be a vessel of ministry towards others. That's what it looks like for community to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Having said that, community is given through faith in Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. What does the empowering work of the Holy Spirit look like? What do we need uh, to do to foster community? And that's what we're going to see in Galatians 6, 1 through 10, is that community is fostered. And I'm going to add something to this here. Community is fostered, not found. I was reading something this week from an author, Pastor Eugene Park, who uh, was the one who made this point and made it in this way that was particularly uh, helpful to me. In fact, he said community is built, not found. And uh, I I think that's a a helpful idea. I, I use the word uh, fostered because I, I think it's uh, the the work of uh, of us as believers committing ourselves to uh, certain actions and habits and commitments uh, of uh, of our relationship with one another that that leads to us experiencing the community that God has ultimately given us through faith in Christ. But but when we think about uh, our current moment, in fact, this article I think was written in 2010, but, but he talked about living in an age where we can kind of create our own community with a phone in our hands and we can, you know, like um, we can listen to this pastor and this church service is way better than what I got. You know, if, if I'm being honest right now, uh, the, the journey uh, of, of preaching to a camera and doing it like this right now, I'm in my in-laws dining room with a um, an ironing board as my sermon preaching while my kids are asleep like uh, none of this is pretty none of this is is particularly easy uh, some of you know the burdens of trying to uh, overcome the sense of loneliness of gathering on your couch or in your bed to try to listen to church or trying to wrangle your kids and and maybe try to get in some of the sermon and all the burdens of virtual church and yet there's this part of us that's if we're honest we we kind of like the optionality. We can choose a little bit here. We can choose a little bit there. And, and then when it comes to community, we're, we're looking for community. And it's a, a desire ultimately that reflects how God made us. But it's a desire that a lot of people have as they're looking for a church or looking for a place to connect. And we come into it. And it's like if the vibe feels good, we're like, hey, I like this. I'm going to keep coming. But if we don't like the vibe, we're like, let's move over here. If after a while, it's hard. Let's move on. And maybe it'll be easier elsewhere. And all of that ultimately uh, doesn't reflect the truth about community that we see in God's Word. 
Anytime you are experiencing meaningful community in a local church, it's because other believers are giving themselves to foster it, or you are giving yourselves to foster it. I'm not saying that just because community is hard that you're at fault or nobody else has something to change. We all it's, it's the whole point. It has to be fostered, and it's an ongoing process. It's never arriving to a certain point. And, and yet, it, it's a recognition to say if you're experiencing community, don't think that you've just found it. Like, Eureka, I struck gold. But realize that you either are experiencing somebody else giving themselves towards you, cultivating, fostering community, or you yourself are giving yourself in a way that's doing so. That, that community is ultimately fostered, not found, I think is going to be vital for us to remember as we try to step back into habits of being the local church in an in a, in a ongoing and uh, in, in regular fashion. Some of that's going to be virtual. Some of that's going to be in person. We're going to do everything we can for everyone we can uh, to seek to meet them where they're at, to be faithful in the preaching of God's word and the gathering of God's people and the uh, living on mission, the cultivating discipleship. All of these things we're committed to and we recognize the challenges that are before us, but recognize that all of us must commit to foster community, not wait around to find it as we get back into the normal rhythms of gathering and even as we continue some of the rhythms of virtual gathering. Community is fostered, not found. Let's, let's look at how it's fostered in Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Read with me, if you would, uh, from this passage. Brothers, notice the familial language. Uh, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, <clears throat> though, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each of you will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that, there, <clears throat> that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Let me give us a few ways in which we can cultivate or foster community. Community is fostered by accountability. Galatians 6.1 tells us that if, if a brother or a sister, somebody in the family of God is caught in any transgression, they're caught in sin. Sin uh, has uh, become evident in their life. Maybe it's something that's been hidden and that, that a believer has tried to hide from others to see, but it's become known. Maybe it's something that uh, that they're struggling with and they're sharing. And maybe, maybe it's something that there's a, a burden that you have and you're not sure what's taking place, but you, you want to approach them. It can be brought under this category of uh, anyone who's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The context is the context of family. This isn't the, um, this isn't the boardroom. Uh, this, this isn't uh, the classroom. This this isn't some gotcha moment. This isn't, uh, you know, some uh, 
uh, hunt for, for purity of, you know, of life and belief. It's not going around looking and judging everyone. It's not being the junior Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not trying to get in everyone's business. And yet, it's a call that as believers, we belong to one another. As family members, we have responsibility for one another. As a part of this local church, I've committed to you to seek your spiritual good, and you've committed to me to seek my spiritual good. And if I see that you're caught in sin, I can't dismiss it. I can't justify it. I can't uh, gossip about it to others. What I must do is seek to restore my brother or my sister who's caught in sin. The goal uh, of, uh, of this uh, whole process is to restore someone. To restore them to Christ, to restore them to the joy of walking with God, of walking in obedience to God. To know that, that there's freedom when we confess our sin. That, that God tells us that He will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That, that sin, though we are justified and, and forgiven, we are free from the guilt of sin and justification. The power of sin is still at work. And the presence of sin is all around us. And, and even within us, the temptation towards sin, the, the, the being drawn to turn away from God and go our own way still exists. And so we can find ourselves trapped and caught in a transgression. And when that happens, the people of God must be committed to restoring anyone who's caught in transgression. That the goal is to restore them to Christ, to restore them to fellowship with God, even fellowship with others. That this means that this should be done, Paul says, by those who are spiritual. That there's, there's, there's not a sense of superiority. There's a sense of those who are walking by the Spirit, dependent on God, prayerfully uh, addressing any sin that they see, prayerfully confronting when sin is evident. With the desire to restore it, it's to be done in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, Paul knew the challenges of walking in accountability and the challenge of addressing sin in community. We often opt for ignoring or dismissing sin because it's awkward and it's difficult to deal with these things. And yet Paul is saying that as brothers and sisters uh, walking in community, we have responsibility to address these things, but he knows that the way we address it is important. Address it in gentleness not with superiority, not with harshness, not with presumption, but in gentleness. And then he says, do it even with humility and carefulness because he says, keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't think yourself beyond the sin in which your brother or sister has caught themselves. Don't think their sin strange. But if the Spirit of God is at work in you, you can approach another brother or sister with humility and with gentleness, with the desire to restore. This is what it means to foster community, that we see our responsibility for one another, and we seek the spiritual good of one another, which means pursuing each other and drawing one another back into obedience and into walking with Christ. And I'll just say here, as we think about accountability, uh, you know, accountability partners can be important and I think vital 
for a believer, especially with another, for a, for a, uh, a believing sister, a believing woman, to have another woman in which there's accountability. And the same with men, that there can be uh, the ability to, to share spiritual struggles and sin temptations and, uh, and just having someone who's walking with you in those areas. And yet, there is a particular, I think, temptation in Christian community in which we, we kind of use accountability as a crutch or as an excuse in which we think our accountability partner is somehow responsible to keep us from sin. Or, or we think that if we can just uh, sin and then purge to our accountability partner, that that makes our ongoing sin okay. Now, don't use your accountability partner in that way. Take responsibility for your own spiritual growth and yet have others that you're walking with who care about and are challenging and pursuing you to, to pursue these things. But, but don't use it as an excuse either to sin or, or an excuse for why you sinned. You know, well, my accountability partner didn't ask or they weren't there. I tried to call them. Like, don't, don't use those uh, excuses to dismiss your own sin, but, but allow your relationships with one another in the body of Christ to be aimed at seeking one another's spiritual good. And that also involves not just the positive affirmation, the formative encouragement spiritually, but even the corrective ministry of confronting and addressing sin and again, this is talking about someone caught in sin, but it's also fair for us as the body of Christ when we are concerned, when we feel burdened for someone. Maybe we don't know of sin. Maybe, maybe it's not even about sin, but it's just spiritual discouragement. It's some, something that's weighing on them. We want to reach out, and we care, and we do so with gentleness. We do so with humility. Communities fostered by accountability. And, and as we go on, uh, that latter point leads us to, to this truth, that in verse 2, community is fostered by bearing burdens. He says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Be alert to the burdens that others have. And then give yourself to helping make those burdens lighter. What Paul is talking about here is is the, the unexpected heavy weights that come upon us, the, the burdens that just are too much for us. Maybe it's an unexpected loss. Maybe it's, maybe it's the burden of, um, of a new child, or maybe it's the burden of, of moving. Maybe, maybe it's, it's something just, it's, it's been a really hard week and some really difficult things have happened at work or in some relationships. And maybe, maybe it's just, uh, going through some financial hardships. Maybe, maybe you've lost your job. Maybe things just aren't coming together as you need them to be. These, these are examples of what it means to bear one another's burdens. And Paul says this fulfills the law of Christ, reflecting back to what Jesus said, to love God and to love your neighbor. This is a, a reflection of the law of Christ, what he's called us to. It, it's in continuity and consistent with the, the moral law of God reflected in the Ten Commandments and throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus fulfills uh, the law, the ceremonial and civil aspects of the law given to Israel and affirms, if you will, and shows us the fullness of God's moral law. And he reflects this in the Sermon on the Mount and other places in, in his teaching in the Gospels. And, and Paul is telling us that to bear one another's burdens is, is in keeping with and fulfilling the law of Christ. And it gets a little confusing when he goes on and he says that... <clears throat> um, let each one test his own work, and then he'll have reason to boast um, 
His boast will be in himself and not his neighbor, for each of you will have to bear his own load. Paul is saying that we all have to bear, we all have to, to examine ourselves and take care of our own responsibilities, not looking and comparing ourselves to others. We, we all have to carry, the word is actually different uh, from burden to load. We all have to, if you think of it this way, carry our own pack of responsibilities in this life. We, we all have uh, to do our part in that sense, and yet we must walk with humility and, and look for the burdens that others are carrying and, and give ourselves to bearing those burdens with others. This is, this is just what it means to be in community, that we see need and we seek to meet it. We weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. We come alongside, we bear up, we encourage. The one and others of Scripture are carried out uh, in the context of our relationships with one, another, with one another. Community is fostered by bearing burdens. And then verse 6 says, <clears throat> it almost seems somewhat of tangential. It says, one who has taught the word must share all good things with one who teaches. And so what, what I want us to actually see here is that community is fostered by God's word. You say, well, Michael, it says that we're to pay the teacher. Uh, I think it's an extension, if you will, of, uh, of helping meet needs in the church is to help meet the needs of those who are responsible for teaching in the church. This is why within our church budget we have money to pay for our staff, and, uh, and it's important for us to care for their needs. And Galatians may be one of the first places where we see this in Scripture, that, uh, that there's <clears throat> this responsibility uh, to, to care for those who lead uh, the church, to particularly lead in teaching the church. And, uh, and Paul is saying uh, to, to take care of their needs so they can give themselves to the teaching of the Word. But the emphasis isn't actually on paying the teacher as much as he's saying that the one who has taught the word must share in all good things with, uh, with the one who teaches. It's on the importance of the receiving of God's word. Pay your teachers so that God's word can be prioritized in the people of God. That, that, that community is fostered by God's word. And he gives this here, uh, what, like I said, while it seems almost uh, tangential to what he's saying, it's this extension of what it means to bear burdens, uh, and yet... It shows us the priority of God's word in the life of community, that it's centered upon God's word, that the teaching of God's word is so important that the church should take care of those who teach so that it can be primary, it can be central to the life of the church. And he goes on to say that community is fostered by personal holiness. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Everyone, uh, ever, whatever one sows, he will also reap. And, and he's not just talking about giving here because in verse 8 and 9, he shows us that if we reap to the flesh, we'll get destruction. But if we reap to the Spirit, we, uh, if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap eternal life. He's talking about uh, the, the giving ourselves to, to personal holiness, to the, um, to the, to the sowing to the Spirit, the, the cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, the walking in step with the Spirit, the allowing the Spirit to enable our personal growth and our growth in community. That community comes as believers give themselves to sowing to the Spirit in their personal lives. It's a call to personal holiness. And he says in this uh, sowing and reaping, in verse 9, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Keep on growing in personal holiness, as even as we talked about last week. Keep on growing in Christ. Cultivate 
foster community by personal holiness. And then verses, verse 10 in particular, he brings this out. He introduces it in verse 9 and makes it explicit in verse 10 that community is fostered by doing good. If bearing burdens are uh, is kind of the responsive work of taking on the, the burdens and the challenges that other brothers or sisters in Christ bear, doing good is the, is the positive uh, counteractive to that, the intentional seeking to do good to one another. Uh, Romans would say, outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, there's the sense of, uh, of looking for ways to do good for each other. Maybe, maybe it is in relieving a burden, but it's not just the reactive of someone making a burden known or becoming evident to us, but it's us considering one another enough, knowing one another enough that we see something in somebody else's life that we could do something that would be a blessing to them. Do good, he says. And even as we do good, especially to the household of God, we also see here how our life together, centered upon God's word, empowered by the Spirit, bears witness to the gospel to a watching world because our doing good isn't, uh, isn't just to the body of Christ, even though it's especially, Paul says, to the body of Christ. But it's also to all people. It's through uh, this doing good to others that we have an opportunity to bear witness to the God that we serve. So if... Paul unpacks this sense of fostering community and not being found, as he does here in Galatians 6, uh, by, uh, by accountability, by bearing burdens, by uh, centering our lives upon God's Word, by uh, personal holiness, and, and by doing good. What does this mean for us at TCC? And I just want to give a few points uh, in conclusion for us to, to help us as we think about this in the new year. At TCC, I want us to understand that community is more than small groups. And yet, at the same time as we're going to see, community is especially experienced in small groups at TCC. And when I say that it's more than small groups, I think one of the tendencies that happens sometimes in the life of the church is that we, we put the full weight of community upon small groups. And, and I, I don't think that that's the best thing for us to do because the Bible's sense of community is, is much more expansive than the hour and a half that you meet in small group. It, it includes when we gather together on Sundays. It includes when we're coming and going throughout our weeks. It means when we call each other or meet up with each other. It means that we, uh, what we do in the ebb and flow of our life, it's this commitment to understanding that we bear responsibility for one another that we must seek one another's spiritual good, that, that we, we must encourage and love and serve and bear burdens for one another. And that's not just limited. It's not like, well, they're not in my small group, so I don't have any responsibility for them. No, as the people of God, we bear responsibility for each other. We've committed ourselves to each other as a body. And so when we think about what it means to be a compelling community, I want us to think about all the way from our gathering to our small groups to our scattering, our rhythms in our life, how can we be intentional? One of the things that this requires is to be intentional, to rub up uh, close enough to one another, to be close enough to one another in the ebb and flow of our life that we can experience community together, that we can seek one another's spiritual good, that we can bear one another's burdens, that we know how to pray for each other's personal holiness. And it doesn't mean that you're going to do this for every single person in our church, but it means that we're all thinking this way. Imagine what would happen if, if every member at TCC is thinking not about where to find community, but how to foster community. That's what I'm praying for TCC in 2021. 
But as I say that, one of the ways in which we've designed life at TCC for us to experience community is for us to experience community in the context of small group. And, and I think in this way, you have the best opportunity to, to really know one another, to, to really encourage one another, to be able to pray for one another, to be able to bear one another's burdens, to be able to encourage one another, have accountability with one another, takes place in the context of small groups. You see, small groups are a place where we desire to foster meaningful community, fellowship, that's the word uh, for community in the Bible, fellowship with one another, um, where we seek one another's spiritual growth through God's word and prayer, and we encourage one another to live on mission. That's what's taking place in small group. It's not an in-depth Bible study. We have those in other places coming up this week uh, and in other times. But it's an opportunity for us to take God's word, primarily reflecting on the sermon, applying it to our lives, and really pressing into one another's lives. And that's what small group life is all about. And so what is your commitment like to small group life at TCC? Are you committed to a small group? I get the challenges that can come from committing to a small group in light of our other responsibilities in life. But, but what if we allowed small group life to be a place in which we, we experience community uh, and, and we commit ourselves to that? Uh, and, and I think one of, the, one of the beauties of being people who are made to live in community is that we actually know one another best when we know ourselves in relationship to others. I had a mentor and a pastor who, who would often reflect on how he and his wife, when they would go to social settings, they wouldn't sit together, uh, that they would sit apart from one another. And one of the reasons they did that is because they learned, rather than keeping to themselves as having the best opportunity to know themselves and to enjoy time together, they actually found that they knew themselves best as they saw themselves in relationship with others. Of course, you should prioritize time with your spouse. But they actually said in the, in the context of community, they, they learned more about one another and saw one another from different angles and brought out different things in them as they interacted with others. And, and that's true whether you're married or single, that as we are in, in relationship with others, we know ourselves better and we know others better. Uh, and, and that's what happens in the context of small groups. And I want to challenge us. To, to commit ourselves to small groups in the new year. And one of the things that we need as we commit ourselves to small groups in the new year is also to call upon some of you to be willing to commit to leading new small groups. We, we need new small group leaders and new assistant small group leaders so we can continue to foster the community that we desire to see in, in the life of our church here at TCC. So ask yourself, evaluate yourself and your commitment to small group life. And even if God might be nudging you to take on a, an opportunity or a challenge to, to lead in small group life at TCC. And then finally, I think it's helpful for us as a church every now and then to, to just step back and remember that our community, our commitment uh, to community is reflected in our church covenant as a church family. Every member who joins TCC um, uh, reads and affirms our church covenant. It's an expression of what we do and why we take church membership seriously. Some of you have been attending TCC for a while and you're not yet a member. And I want to invite you uh, to, to make this the year, even this uh, coming month or two in the new year as we have our next Membership Matters class, to take the step of going through our Membership Matters class, having a conversation with one of our pastors or staff, and then covenanting together with us at, at TCC. Because what happens in church membership is, is we are saying, 
as a church, we're committing to care for you and to encourage you and to walk alongside you. And you are committing yourself to care for us and to walk alongside us. The Bible teaches us that being a church, being a part of the church isn't being a part of a club or a volunteer organization, but it's a, it's a family which we give ourselves to, a commitment to watch over and care for others and to be watched over and cared for by others. And one of the ways that we express that is through our church covenant, which is basically taking what the Bible calls Christians to do in, context, in the context of community and saying this is what, by God's grace, we are seeking to do. So as we think about being a Camellian community in 2021, I, I want to end our message today by, by really just reflecting uh, on our church covenant, by reading it, and, and, and asking each of us uh, to, to prayerfully renew our commitment to Christ and His church as we resolve to be a compelling community at TCC in 2021. That through our life together, committed to God's Word and powered by the Holy Spirit, we would bear witness to the Gospel, to a watching world, to a watching community. Our church covenant reads as this, Having repented of my sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, and having been baptized after my confession of faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I now join in covenant together with Treasuring Christ Church. Notice the change to the plural as we express our commitment to community. In all of life, we will aim to glorify and delight ourselves in God. Individually and corporately, we will seek first Christ's kingdom and His righteousness rather than pursue our self-interest. We will make every effort to live in a manner worthy of our calling, to be exemplary in our conduct, and to treat one another with love, respect, and forgiveness. We commit to avoid sin, to abstain from sexual immorality, and any practice which brings division to the church or jeopardizes our faith. We will watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and in distress, and to show grace in our speech, and to be slow to take offense and ready for reconciliation without delay. We will not neglect to gather together, but will support and treasure the biblical preaching of the whole counsel of God, the faithful observance of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and when necessary, the loving exercise of church discipline. We commit ourselves to willingly submit to the leaders of the church and will give joyfully, regularly, and sacrificially to the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the advancement of the gospel, both to our neighbors and the nations. We will conduct our relationships and families according to the pattern laid out in Scripture to honor biblical marriage, to raise our children in the instruction of the Lord. We will commit to faithfully advance the gospel and make disciples in our city and abroad, living out our faith in all of life and sending to the nations those from among us and readying ourselves to go whenever and wherever God calls us. And if we move away from treasuring Christ, we will, as soon as possible, join with another church where we can fulfill the responsibilities of our covenant and join in mission with a local church committed to God, His people, and the gospel. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. May God, by His grace, sustain and strengthen us to keep our commitment to one another and to carry out his mission entrusted to us in this coming year. Know that it's a joy to lead and to shepherd you as one of your pastors, and I'm praying for God to help us to foster compelling community in the new year. Pray with me.